There's something sinister and disturbing happening at Skinwalker Ranch. But as we're about to see, it might not be the sinister and disturbing thing that we expect. This is only a test. This is only a test. This is only a test. Hello and welcome to the Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Radke, and joining me remotely because I think he has tuberculosis or something is Dr. Lee Kunla. Tis the season to be gross and disgusting. That's because it's December. As we're recording this, it's only a couple days from December Ween, which is what a reference is that? that I think probably 2% of the listeners are going to get and Lee's not going yeah. to get. But those no. 2% of the listeners who got that are so happy right now. Happy December Ween, everybody. Do you want to fill us in, or is it just a nope. mystery that we now have to Google? That's a mystery. And because it's December, Ween, that means that 2023 is almost over. And we have spent a lot of 2023 looking up to the sky and looking down at ourselves and the interaction between those two things to try to understand the way that our society has looked at the idea of the UFO and the flying saucer. And it's been a hell of a ride. We started off with the idea that, you know, in the 1940s, the American government is very worried that this flying saucer mania that's sweeping the nation is a threat. And that sets up so much of how things would eventually shape up with the UFO situation. The American government trying to keep a clamp on the flying saucer mania, assuming that it was going to turn out to be some kind of Soviet psyop or something like that. And then all the other stuff we talked about, you can go back and listen to all the episodes over the year. But here's a question, or maybe an observation. Here's an observation. This story starts with the American government worrying that the population is going to get too into flying saucers and UFOs. Is it possible that the population should have been maybe a little worried that the government or parts of it were going to get too into flying saucers and UFOs? Well, I think over the history, both has happened. And... What we're going to talk about today is maybe the confluence of both of those things happening. We have a kind of government overreach, as well as a lot of citizen investigation into this last piece of the puzzle to the story that Nathan and I have been narrating over the last year. The story of the evolution of the UFO, I guess, mythology. What happened was during the summer... We had the UAP hearings with David Grush, and we, of course, had two episodes on that. So we skipped ahead. I think we were in our narrative account around the 1980s, and we had to skip ahead because of this really sensational bombshell revelation of what was apparently going on in the deep state, what the government knew about aliens from an inside whistleblower. It was really remarkable. For about a month there, in the news, constantly, we had stories about, yeah, there's been people killed by UFOs, there is this massive cover-up. Remember there were those two alleged alien mummies that showed up in Mexican Congress, and that was yes. all happening in summer of 2023. So we had to sort of pause our narration to, to, to sort of jump ahead and talk about that. Then we went back and we talked about the rest of the 80s. We talked about the 90s. We watched an X-Files episode. We got sort of into the late 90s. And, and this, I guess, is the last piece of the puzzle of this story. It's amazing how much we haven't talked about. 
It's amazing that we haven't talked properly about Roswell. Thank you. About Roswell. We haven't talked really That's about Bob I Lazar. I refuse to talk about Roswell until we talk about the Aztec UFO crash. Okay. So, dear listeners, more is coming, but this is the end of this year's step-by-step history. And this is the last piece. This gets us from the late 90s to David Grush's testimony in early summer. And it is about this place called Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, because there are certain locations that add to the whole myth, the whole story of the flying saucer. And Roswell, of course, is one of those. Aztec Mm -hmm. New Mexico is one of those. Area 51 is one of those. Maybe uh, K- even Kexburg. the site of the pyramids or Stonehenge. Yeah, all of these, and and some of them are, they're all real places, but some of them legit have some interesting conspiracy aspects, and some of them don't, and some of them are pop culture influenced, and, and some of them are, you know, just sort of weird random places. And what we're talking about today is one of those key UFO locations. Yes. So this key location is about 150 miles outside of Salt Lake City in Utah, and it's in the Uinta Basin. It's called Skinwalker Ranch, and it is the hotbed, apparently, of all kinds of paranormal activity, things like cryptids and UFOs and interdimensional portholes and poltergeists and regular ghosts and all kinds of things besides. There might even have been visitations by the men in black. It really kind of combines all of these things together. And so that, weirdly, is the missing piece that takes us from the late 90s UFO story that we left off with people like William Cooper and the Montauk Project and gets us right to David Grush's testimony. Yeah, what makes Skinwalker Ranch so amazing is that all of the stuff we've talked about this year, everything from alien visitation to cattle mutilation to time portals to cryptids to everything, it's all like manifested in this one little spot in Utah. Yes, and you're right. I forgot to mention cattle mutilation. There's a lot of very classic cattle mutilation that happens as well. It really gets going in the mid-90s, and then interest in it develops when a millionaire takes it over and makes it a kind of also a research hub, and that continues even till today. And then the the American government gets involved. They do indeed. That's exactly it. So this this story sounds like a bit of a mess. So let's let's start at at the beginning. No, weirdly. Oh. Let's start at the end. Let's start at the end. (laughs) <laughs> only just to, to get us to the beginning okay, okay. what because better way to get to the beginning of something than as far from the beginning as possible exactly leave it to me when you watch david grush's testimony at the uap hearings earlier in the summer and he of course was the not a pilot but an intelligence agent and a former intelligence agent and unlike the pilot's testimony at that hearing which was kind of measured and careful and said, yeah, there's weird stuff. We didn't know what it was. Grush came in and just started throwing some heat. Right. That's where all the really amazing and quite startling revelations came from his testimony. 
non-human biologics and you know, as you said earlier, Nathan, maybe people being hurt or murdered because of their involvement in revealing this secret government project in reverse engineering alien technology, the fact that there were alien crafts, all of that stuff came from David Grush's testimony. Mm -hmm. Now, interesting, sitting right behind David Grush, and we did mention this on the episode that we did that, that, that summer, there are two people sort of flanking him both left and right. You don't see it in all the shots, but there are a couple of shots of David Grush speaking where right behind him are two people. One of them is a guy, I would put him maybe in his early 50s. He's got a, a, a big beard and a short, almost kind of military-style haircut. And his name is Jeremy Corbell. He is a known YouTuber influencer who talks a lot about UFOs and about revealing images and and putting them out there and you know saying look here's more proof and you know he has a huge following online beside him is a guy named George Knapp and George Knapp has actually come up in our podcast on this topic of tracing the history of alien mythology when we talked about John Lear, because it was George Knapp who interviewed John Lear, John Lear being the multimillionaire son of the founder of the Lear Jet. This was all in relationship to the MJ-12 papers. John Lear's protégés are William Cooper, who we of course have talked about, as well as Bob Lazar. And George Knapp is the guy who interviews him in 87 and gets a lot of the early revelations about basically also what David Grush was talking about. So I want to focus on George Knapp for a moment. So George Knapp is a journalist. He has been interested in revealing and following and tracing the UFO story since at least the late 80s, since at least his involvement with John Lear and Bob Lazar and, and William Cooper. He's done a bunch of exposés, and he has written a book. He's written a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker. Well, actually, he co-authored that book with another guy named Colm A. Kelleher. I'll get back to him. I want to just sort of get us into the story through George Knapp's book. Okay, so these are the guys who are sitting right behind David Grush. And actually, they get a shout out by Tim Burchette, who says... Also, uh, I know I saw it in the crowd there, George Knapp, my buddy Jeremy Corbell. Um, I, uh, they're not witnesses, but they've uh, provided some statements on this subject, and I seek unanimous consent to enter those statements into the record, Mr. Chairman. Without objection. So, of course, Tim Burchette is the senator who is chairing this committee on the UAPs, and he's buddies with Jeremy Corbell. He's buddies with George Knapp. It turned out in our episode that they are buddies with David Grush as well. And there's going to be other players involved as well. Travis Taylor from the History Channel. We're going to get to all those. And so what, what's fascinating is in the conspiracy world, there's always this idea that there is like this cabal of people yeah. who are all in something together. Yeah. And what you're kind of describing here is that there's almost like a cabal of UFO pushers who, are, yes. who, have, who have managed to reach into mainstream government. 
That's exactly what I'm saying, that there is a small group of high-ranking elected and unelected officials who are hardcore UFO believers and who are pushing a kind of a pro-UFO agenda. This includes Tim Burchette, who says at the beginning, he opens the hearings by saying, look, this is not a partisan issue. This is not a Republican or Democratic issue. This goes really deep into government. Like what he's basically identifying is a sort of government conspiracy, deep state conspiracy, which, you know, doesn't even like the elected officials don't even have access to. And this is what some of these UAP hearings were supposed to reveal. Now, here's the thing. If this group of UFO pushers, if they have evidence, if they are correct, then they are doing something heroic and important. Yes. If they do not have the evidence, if they have been led astray, then they're wasting a bunch of time and money. No, you're exactly right, Nathan. It really is a question of, are they being heroic whistleblowers or are they wasting taxpayer dollars, wasting airtime and leading a whole bunch of people astray when there are other much more important issues potentially that need solving right now? But I want to get into the whole discussion. So I want to get us to the beginning, as you said. I want to get us to the beginning of the story through George Knapp's book. So co-authored with Colm Kelleher, and it's called The Hunt for the Skinwalker. Okay, so just as you, as we've already mentioned, this is this hotbed of paranormal activity. And I'm going to sort of take up the narration as the book presents it. So you have this ranch, and... Maybe stuff has been happening there. We, we're not exactly sure, but there is a family that takes over the ranch in the mid-90s. I think it's around 94. And they're, that, they're, that family is known as the Gormans. And it's a ranching family. They have prized cattle, and they're really excited to you know kind of start life again in this rather bucolic area of Utah. They're going to raise these prized cattle. And so they move in there, but already right at the beginning, weird things start to happen. Well, I mean, they even, when in... they, even when they show up, there's something a bit weird about this ranch. There seems to have been, by the prior owners who they bought it off of, there seems to be these, these weird precautions that were taken. Bars yeah. on windows, locks yeah. everywhere, like yeah. doors chained shut. It almost yes. seemed as though the previous owners were, were anticipating some kind of invasion. Or some kind exactly. of intrusion. Ominous, and that, spooky. Exactly. And that then, although to be fair, this story comes from the Gormans, not from the previous owners. Right. Right. So that's why I started with Exactly. That's why I started with the Gormans, because the previous owners themselves don't come on record to say any any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. The Gormans do. And to your point though, maybe they were expecting something. It starts right from basically day one when they have an encounter with what might be a kind of a werewolf figure. It's a huge wolf, maybe about 400 pounds. It seems at first friendly, but then attacks one of the calves. The rancher, Tom Gorman, tries to shoot it, and it doesn't, it, it seems impervious to bullets, even though it's kind of point blank range eventually decides to move on. The werewolf kind of just sort of walks away. Gorman keeps shooting at it. There's no blood. There's no 
evidence that the bullets are having any effect, and it disappears. Then thereafter, more weird things start to happen. So they start noticing things disappearing. Kitchen stuff starts to disappear. Then one day, Tom Gorman comes in and he's, you know, he's all irate because he can't find his post digger, which is a, a pretty heavy Yeah, that's implement. a big, heavy bit of machinery. Later in the book, it turns out, you know, days later, weeks later, it, it turns up in a tree somewhere. Other weird stuff is happening. They are seeing things. They, they seem to see a kind of, um, it's not clear, but it might be a kind of uh, opening to another dimension, potentially. It's a weird door in the sky, which points, you know, it's the middle of the night, but you can see through this door a sky that's daytime. They notice other weird lights. They have strange experiences and impressions of being watched, of being followed. And so their entire time, they own the ranch for about 20 months, and their entire time there, they're, they're continuously harassed by these paranormal activities. According to them. According to them, yeah. So eventually, uh, Gorman... The, the dad, he, he goes to a local newspaper, this is in 96, and he says, this is what's been happening here. And he also, he decides he wants out once some orbs show up and seem to fry the household dogs. So they kind of, it's like burn them to a crisp or something like that. Three three dogs. And, and at that point, apparently... Mom has already been upset and frantic for a while. The kids' grades have been, you know, they haven't been doing well at school. Things have not been going great. Dad keeps trying to hang on. But, you know, eventually at the, the point when this kind of orb UFO thing shows up, at that point he's like, okay, that's it. I mean, that's when orbs fry your dogs, I yeah. feel like that's a bit of a last straw situation. I don't know. I, I would have. You'd stick after I, that. I would. I know I would have maybe already had second thoughts once the werewolf tried to eat my calf and was impervious to the bullets, you know, or any of the like 500 other episodes that they that they narrate up until that end point. But as I said, they had hold a local newspaper about these strange goings on. And that article was read by a guy who was quite rich. His name is Robert Bigelow. And he had made his money in all kinds of different places, aerospace and real estate and other things like that. And he is a big UFO enthusiast. He's somebody who both believes in UFOs and is interested in kind of getting to the source of what's really going on. But he is walking into this question with the assumption that what is going on is something paranormal or extraterrestrial. And so he reads this article about the the Skinwalker Ranch, and he decides, I'm going to buy this place. He had already formed this investigative committee called the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. Some of the people on the board and who act as advisors, I don't know if actually, honestly, if they're on the board or if they're simply, quote unquote, advisors, but there are figures that are known to the listeners of the uncover up people like Hal Puthoff, who already was there right in our first episode in Stargate. And he's the guy who got one of the researchers who got taken in by Yuri Geller and the remote viewing stuff. Jacques Vallée, 
he's on the advisory committee to the NIDS is what they end up being called. Uh, that is the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. So he has this research team and they descend on Skinwalker Ranch because Bigelow is really hoping to actually encounter the UFOs or some of the paranormal stuff. And Bigelow and, is um, a true believer with a lot of money. That's right. Th this guy's got deep pockets. He is convinced about the supernatural. He's convinced about the paranormal. He's convinced about extraterrestrials. He can, is convinced about all of it. And he's got the pocketbook to fund this exploration. That's right. And his investigation really goes from 96 at Skinwalker Ranch from 96 to 2004, although he holds on to the ranch until 2016. George Knapp's book comes out in 2005. And just briefly, although I know we've we've mentioned what what's happening there, I'm going to give a direct quote from the book. Some of the events seem to reek of poltergeist activity. Some appear to be paranormal in nature. Some exhibited behavior reminiscent of UFO-like objects. There was a smattering of cryptozoology-like events thrown into the mix. Were UFOs flying over the Utah ranch, or was the ranch haunted? Apparently, there are over a hundred different phenomena. These include red orbs, blue orbs, white orbs, the cryptids. There's like a number of different kinds. We've talked about the werewolf kind, but there's also a giant cat, maybe a giant bird as well. I say maybe because some of the accounts, it's, it's not clear. They happen at night. It's seen through night vision goggles. It's in the trees. It moves very quickly. Only one person sees it. And this place, and, it's amazing. It's like it's a combination of all of the uncover-up episodes. It's got a, a touch of Mothman here and yes. some of the ghost episode over there. Yeah. And it's like it's all it's all happening at this at this ranch. It's all happening at this ranch. And this is why Bigelow wanted in. And as you said, he's got deep pockets. So he pays for this place. He also pays for the researchers to do their work. And he gets them fancy equipment as well. So they, they've got, you know, they've got night vision goggles. They've got all kinds of sensor equipment. Their mission is to have the experience, first and foremost, the experience themselves, but then also to capture it in some kind of way that they can present to the larger public to kind of show, look, this stuff is happening for real. George Knapp, throughout the book, knows and this is a recurring theme, that the evidence is always very elusive. So the experiences are very, the experience itself, as it is narrated, is always quite startling and amazing. And it's things like a door opened, you know, a door in time, a portal to another dimension opened, and a cryptid comes out. But they don't, they're unable to get any photographic evidence of it. They're unable to get any DNA evidence. They're unable to get any kind of, you know, actual evidence in any concrete way. Knapp even goes on with Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan asks them and, and Knapp is forced to say, look, they don't have concrete evidence. And it's always as though the evidence is very elusive. The experiences are really compelling and gripping, but the evidence is just not there. Why is um, that, though? If you have this team and they're there specifically to investigate it and they have the equipment, why aren't they producing any kind of evidence? Why, indeed. And that's 
of course, something that we'll come back to in, in just a moment. I have heard people try and rationalize this, saying that, well, you know, you're dealing with paranormal phenomena. It is by nature quite elusive. You have to almost be a believer to have the experience, and then the experience might not be something you can translate onto, you know, a video recording. That sounds like a rationalization as opposed to any good explanation for why there isn't good evidence. And I will get into this evidence more, but there really is no good evidence. I mean, they send samples to a university lab that they think is alien goo, and it turns out to be muddy water. There's a journalist who goes up and, and lives at the place for a couple of days and you know, none of the stuff that the other people say is happening there, even while he's there, is happening. I mean, so there's always that issue where someone will say something like, well, if you don't believe in it, then your your energies will, will drive these phenomenon away. Yeah. And that's always yeah. a problem because then that raises the question, is this externally real or is this just something that is happening in the imagination of the true believers? You're, you're setting up a nice segue. I, I wasn't As I quite do. prepared to... Yes, you, as you do, segue Nathan Racky. I wasn't quite prepared to go there now, but I will. What happens is basically there is essentially two accounts of what happens as Bigelow owns the ranch. There's Knapp's account, which says all of these amazing things were happening, but they weren't able to capture it in any kind of way that they would be able to present to the scientific community or to a, a generally interested public. There's another account, though, which is nothing happened. And Bigelow loses interest because nothing happens, and then eventually he decides to sell up because nothing is happening. So I'm going to recite a researcher, Mark Cocciotti, who did a real deep dive into Skinwalker and tracked down a bunch of people who worked at the ranch. These were, to some extent, researchers, but also often just security people. And he interviewed them and he said, like, what, you know, what really happened here? And basically, nothing happened according to them. Hmm. But Bigelow didn't like that. So Bigelow wanted, he would get frustrated when asked, when he asks his team, hey, what happened today? And they're like, you know, nothing happened. He didn't want that as an answer. So the researchers pretty quickly discover where their bread is being buttered right. and how it how to please their funder. Because, of course, if he pulls the plug, they're out of a job. They're not making any money anymore. So they essentially collude to generate the information that he's looking for. And these are direct quotes here from Cochetti's article. Mr. Bigelow did not like to be told that there was nothing to it. The bottom line was just, Tell him what he wants to hear. For most of us, it was simply a paycheck. I don't believe anything happened at the ranch. There's nothing happening out there that cannot be logically and rationally explained. So this comes but, but, from... But reason and logic isn't going to put food on the table. It's not going to right. grease your palms. The good right? money is in the weird. Because that's exactly. what Bigelow wants. That's what Bigelow wants. And apparently there was a guy who would get drunk... And then just start writing stuff. And he would then fax it directly to Bigelow. And he was like, oh, I saw this wolf and then it disappeared and, you know, whatever. And I mean, these are guys who are on a 
dusty ranch outside of you know salt lake city like they're not close to salt lake city in any meaningful way so they're just and even if you are you're just close to salt lake city (laughs) so you can believe george knapp and colin kelleher who say all of these incredible things were happening or this researcher who interviewed a bunch of the people who were not directly invested in it you know who were like look you kind of just told the guy what he wanted to hear. And you know. now in and of itself, let's be super generous. We kind of maybe still have a, well, you know, you just kind of got to believe one or the other. So there, I'm going to get back to some more evidence in, in a moment. But that is basically what happens during this period of Bigelow's NIDS investigation, 1996 to 2004. And then in 2016, he sells it to another very rich man. This guy is Brandon Fugel. And Brandon Fugel buys the ranch essentially for the same reasons that Bigelow bought the ranch. Now, before we went on air, you you were asking, is this a grift or is this a story of true believers? And I said, I am not sure because it depends on at what stage in the story we're talking about. Were the Gormans true believers or were they just kind of Selling a telling story. a tall tale? Bigelow is definitely a true believer. Yep. But again, now with Brandon Fugel, I'm not sure. Because what Brandon Fugel does, he brings in the History Channel and they make a show called Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. And if you, you do that, have- you, you, you can't have a show like that and then for a whole season say, the secret is there's not much going on. Next episode... Not much goes on. You you can't do that. If you have a show, you're going to need to have something happen. In in this one respect, the show is actually quite amazing because nothing does happen in the show, and but yet you got to turn that managed, nothing into something. Exactly, they turn it into something in in actually the most ridiculous way. So you can of course watch the show. It's still being aired now. It's it. I don't know what season it's in. I picked a I picked an episode at random and forced myself to watch the whole thing. I've watched various tidbits throughout my research for this, but I, I was like, I'm gonna watch kind of the whole I can't, I'm sorry. I just I love my uncover up audience, but there I just couldn't watch all five or six seasons of the show. I couldn't do it. Six but seasons. let me give it's amazing. So this is season five, episode three. And <laughs> okay, first of all, I should mention some other players now that enter in. So we have Brandon Fugel as part of the story now. And he but buys so it, it in all it seems in order to generate this TV show about it. Yes. Now, is he like Robert Bigelow, a true believer, or is he somebody who is more savvy and is going to turn this uh, turn a buck out of this? I don't know. Maybe this a is bit obviously of both. Co- it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Just another tidbit here, which I found interesting in and of its own, on its own merits, is that Bigelow buys the ranch for $200,000, sells it, what, not, yeah, 20 years later, sells it 20 years later for $4 million. It's not bad. That is, that is the, that is the marketing power of the paranormal mm-hmm. right there. Like that's what, that's what that gets you. Back to Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, Season 5, Episode 2. 
It begins with, they see some strange lights at night. One of the guys, Tom, one of the researchers now, because Fugel has brought in his own researchers, including Travis Taylor and others, but a guy named Tom, kind of when they're seeing these lights, he starts to get a headache. Hmm. And they decide to rush him to the hospital. And now the first 10 minutes of the show is about what's happened to Tom and can Tom come back and Tom's injuries that now turns from a headache to an injury. He has been rushed to emergency. They've done a CT scan. Now the doctors can't find anything on the CT scan, but Brandon Fugel then brings in his own expert and he is able to identify that whatever this injury is, quote unquote, seems to align with a high energy beam radiation sustained to the back of his head. Oh, now we're bringing in the Havana syndrome episode. Yes, yes, Man, yes. This has got and it all. You, and it's 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 happening at the same time that he saw the lights. That doesn't happen to everybody. It just happens to Tom. And you know the doctors can't find anything, which is especially weird. But this specialist notices that it's you know some kind of radiation thing. And it's also eerily weird to an injury that he had two years earlier. And so the whole first 10 minutes of the show is about a guy who had a mild headache one evening, but is turned into this really dramatic and explosive event where Brandon Fugel, who doesn't live on the ranch, he's of course the owner, but doesn't live there. He flies in on a black helicopter, the door opens, he runs out, they have this star chambered meeting with all the researchers where they're all sitting around very serious. One I mean, of the things that th this is a masterclass in how to turn nothing into something. It really is. I mean, part like, of it is the reaction. If is nothing happening, then re react to it as if it's some big deal. The fact yes. that the doctors don't find anything, that becomes part of the something. It's like, ah, oh, the doctors find nothing. It's gotta be something. It's, it's gotta, gotta be, be even more suspicious. Weird. Yeah. Exactly. That's the narrative of the whole show. I got to watch this show. Sounds great. It's heightened, as you say, very There's much music by, playing. I'm sure. Yes, yes, and it's it's always this kind of intense staccato kind of music, low beats and ominous sounds. It's predicated also very much on already a pre-existing belief in that there is something happening at Skinwalker. So if you grant that sort of, if you sort of su uh, suspend your disbelief then these things can seem more meaningful. They also, of course, have constant cutaways to people making, you know, puckered lips and furrowed brows and very intense expressions or very shocked expressions. They bring in experts who are probably very legitimate experts in their field and then do a lot of sharp edits where they, you know, they, they only get to say like one thing like, huh, that's really weird. In in the context of where they probably, who knows, if you saw the actual footage, they were probably responding to what the other person's theory, like that it was ghosts or something. And you're like, oh, that's a kind of a weird explanation. But of course, they edit that such that it looks like they're talking about the phenomena. The whole show runs like this. The next thing they do is they decide that since the previous owner, Bigelow, hadn't released all his research that maybe there could be underground alien bases. And so then they get some thermal imaging tech and expert who can use this to thermal image 
the property in order to see if there's some underground bases. They don't find anything until they go to Homestead 2, which is where, like, is the epicenter within Skinwalker Ranch. So if Skinwalker Ranch is an epicenter in the world of paranormal activity, the epicenter in the epicenter is Homestead 2. And when they get there, the batteries die. I mean, we've done some filming. And batteries dying is something that happens pretty much constantly all of the we time. We got like 20 minutes, yeah. right? But no, no, you had an We had somebody who like, basically just spent all of her time switching batteries around for yeah. hours and hours. And you had an expert who, you know, was spliced in being like, huh, that's weird. Then, then Travis Taylor, who holds two PhDs, one in optics and I think one in astrophysics, he discovers RF radiation dun, dun, now dun. i had to look it up like is this a thing so it's radio frequencies yeah so he discovers radio freak radio waves on the property in the which nathan how rare are radio waves out there in the world like if if you were to go outside would it be a scary thing to suddenly discover that there might be some radio frequencies around you it would be much scarier if you suddenly discovered there weren't any. Yeah. I mean, that would be legit scary. If you went outside and there were no radio frequencies, that would be a weird moment. Because then I would ask, wait, what happened to all the radio broadcasts? So, interestingly then, also in the narration, this discovery turns into radiation. Which, again, we said is technically true off-air when we were sort of talking about the show. But but when radio we hear radiation, we think nuclear radiation. But that's right. not like radiation encompasses a wide spectrum of all sorts of different energy, including things like visible light. It's anyway. So now they have, in in short order, they have discovered radiation spikes, which they now go and get a weather balloon to determine the nature of the radiation spikes. All seem to be happening like a mile above the property, which apparently is super weird and super suspicious and. Uh, quote, it's not something that humans have created on the face of the earth. Hmm. So then they send up a, a weather balloon and the batteries <laughs> and it's super suspicious. And they're all sitting around with their with their grimaces and furrowed brows and, and you know, shocked expressions at how weird this whole thing is. And that's the whole show. I just endlessly like that. And I've seen, you know, like bits of a lot of the other episodes, and they're always super impressed and super struck and startled by, you know, fireflies or bits of stuff dust. that's out of focus or whatever, whatever, it, it's whatever. It's amazing. You see the same thing in ghost hunting shows, in shows like right. Ghost Adventures, yeah. which go on for over a dozen seasons, and mm. they never find a ghost but they always have to spend all of their time turning nothing into something. And so every right. bump, every reflection, every everything becomes part of this big explanation. Right. So at this point, I should introduce Stephen Greenstreet, who has done really great work. Now, Nathan and I are, in a sense, generalists when it comes to conspiracy theories. We talk a lot about all different kinds of conspiracy theories. And yes, we've done a deep dive in the UFO history. But even there, with this Skinwalker Ranch, for example, Stephen Greenstreet has done many hours just investigating this one thing. And he has done really good work. 
And I just want to give him props because later I'm going to come down very hard on the news media. Stephen Greenstreet works for the National Post. He has a kind of a YouTube podcast called The Basement Office. He has done, I think, at least 12 episodes just on Skinwalker Ranch. And he even gets himself invited to Skinwalker Ranch, where he then spends a couple of days there and tries to have an experience himself. And he is very open-minded, but, you know, is like the earlier security guards who were interviewed is always able to come up with very straightforward explanations. So, for example, he goes to Homestead 2. He spends the night there. He's told by these researchers, you know, don't do it. And he, finally, he convinces them it's going to be okay, but they'll only let him go if he takes a gun and uh walkie-talkie just so that, you know, in case a cryptid emerges or something, he's going to be able to defend himself. And he's there at night and he hears rumbling and he hears some stuff and, you know, he's kind of a little spooked, right? I mean, as you would be with all this hype behind it and you're out there in nature by yourself, which I've done a number of times. And it just, that in and of itself can be a scary thing because there are things I mean, not in Utah. I don't know much of the uh, flora and fauna out there. But, Mormons. you know, in, in, in Canada, you get bears. And it's kind of stressful sometimes when you're lying there in a tent that is, you know, I don't know how thin, like a tenth of a millimeter thickness between you and a ravenous wild beast out there. When you start hearing a jump, 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 or whatever, you get a little. Anyway, so he hears. Yeah, I mean, even coyotes can be scary. Yeah, sure, sure. Because we're like, you know, pampered, <laughs> like soft, squishy things. I mean, we have like, our lunch eaten by squirrels. I mean, we are. Yeah. We if, when we're out there in the wild, humans are killable. So he's a little worried, right? And then he goes and tracks down the sound, and it's raccoons. Oh. And then he had he sees some stuff in the sky, and he's like, "What? What the heck is that?" And later he goes home and. And he has a program where you're able to find stuff. And it's the Elon Musk Starlight. satellite. So he sees that and it's like, okay, it's just, these are just the, he has a really strong physical reaction at one point. His eyes swell up and he starts to just, and he's having like a hay fever attack. So all of these potentially spooky things, which if you are so inclined, could be interpreted in a very sensationalist way because he is going to take that extra step of also trying to disconfirm the evidence like not just leaving the rustling as oh my goodness there's a cryptid or not just leaving the things in the sky as oh i've just seen the ufo he does the next step of trying to investigate it just like the security guard said it all has a rational explanation at the end of it just like the labs that were getting bigelow samples of muddy water which were strange it's just muddy water like there's the you could look up the evidence. And and so, yeah, like you say, it the TV show now with Brandon Fugel and Travis Taylor is really just turning nothing into something, relying very much on the audiences buying in already at the beginning to the idea that there is something scary here. And not ever being able to produce anything. There's nothing in this book. There's a follow-up book called. Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, all the same stories, 
no evidence. Like there's just not one shred of evidence. There's not a photograph. There is not a chemical analysis done by a university. Nothing, nothing. Green Street goes up there, nothing. An independent researcher contacts the people who work there, nothing. So really, there's a lot of the weight now. You know, earlier I said, well, you know, it's we have one guy saying that there's something there, one guy saying there isn't. Now it really seems like the only people who are saying that there's something there are people who are getting a paycheck to say that there's something there. Because the Bigelow thing, where people were giving him what he wanted to hear, is now being repeated in this the hunt for the search for the skinwalker, sorry, the TV show, where again, you're only getting money for the TV show. If you keep saying there's another dimension and there's a cryptid and there's a ghost and there's a UFO and all of that kind of stuff. It's just the nature of episodic TV. You can't have a teaser where somebody says, next on Skinwalker, nothing much happens. Exactly. Exactly. So the next for the episode that I watched was a whole UFO encounter thing. So this time, you know, they had this whole like weird paranormal reaction and underground bases and weird radiation signals. And then the next episode was going to be about alien. Now we're getting into the real conspiracy, which is more about what you said at the beginning was there is this whole cabal of believers. So I want to go back to when Bigelow owns the ranch. What happens is after George Knapp and George, uh, sorry, George Knapp and Colm Kelleher publish Hunt for the Skinwalker in 2005, there's a guy at the DIA who reads the book and he gets in touch with Bigelow and he's like, I, I want to come to the ranch. So he goes to the ranch and Apparently, in the kitchen of one of the homesteads, he has a, quote, experience. He sees some apparition manifesting in the kitchen. And Bigelow doesn't see it. He's with him. But this guy, Lekatsky is his name, he has this experience. And he comes back and He's like, we got to look into this. This is a big, this is a big deal. So he contacts Senator Harry Reid. Now, Senator Harry Reid is a friend of Robert Bigelow. And he is like, okay, you know, Bigelow has been funding Reid's campaigns. So the DIA guy contacts Reid. DIA should, just in case anybody's wondering, Defense Intelligence Intelligence Agency. Agency. He contacts the senator. The senator contacts his buddy who owns the ranch and the DIA guy, Lekatsky and Reed together basically draw up plans to fund a project called OSAP. Now, again, this all comes from Stephen Greenstreet. He did some really good investigative journalism on this. And he and Mark Cacciati are really the only ones that I've encountered out of all of it, like 60 Minutes and the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC, none of them did any of this. So, but these guys did. And what they discover is that they make public money available. Harry, Senator Harry Reid and 
you know, working with this DIA guy, they make, they essentially design a project to research the paranormal activities happening on Skinwalker Ranch. They, they get $22 million of taxpayer money. But in their proposal, they strip out any mention of the like super overtly paranormal they stuff. They take out the poltergeists. Exactly. They take out the cryptids. But they do, it sounds like some advanced weapons project. But I have, I have it in front of me, or at least um, a sort of a summary of it. And if you know what you're looking for, there are some interesting, quote unquote, like some kind of telltale signs that what they're doing is a borderline bit, a bit woo -woo. Yeah, woo-woo, exactly. So here's here are some. Theory and experiments of invisibility cloaking. Wormholes in space. Wormholes in space? For real? Fine. If you are like an astrophysicist at a research institution that does astronomy that's known for astronomy you you are doing like you were known for doing work on black holes and the theoretical aspects of this okay but what's the dia or the pentagon doing investigating wormholes in space time like that's that's that, that's in the technical report review results okay improved statistical approach to drake equation now drake equation of course is for searching for extraterrestrials. Yeah. Right? So wink wink, nudge, nudge. If you, you know, warp drives is another oh, boy. Star Trek. So even though it's stripped of all the paranormal stuff, it's still, as you there say, there are traces. There it's and it's still woo-woo. Mm -hmm. Right. And okay. But who could apply for this? Well, it's a defense contract. So you'd think like Lockheed or Boeing or I don't know, does skunk work still exist? I don't know. But these are the kind of outfits that you would expect would be bidding for this. Nobody bids for this except one defense contractor, and it's owned by Bigelow. It's Bigelow Aerospace something something. I have it in my notes. I won't even bore you with it because the point is, this is backroom dealings amongst UFO buffs in the private and public sector where it's like, I'm going to give my buddy some money to research some stuff on his ranch that he is interested in. And, and the sort of thing and, that happens constantly at all levels of government happens municipal, federal, state, or in Canada. But on provincial. this stuff, I mean, like in, in Ontario, for example, ghosts with taxpayer dollars. I mean, the content, the content in this is a little hilarious. But we live in Ontario. Our provincial government just got in trouble because our premier had a back deal with some of his buddies, and they all had a party together, and then he gave them access to a bunch of protected land. Yeah, like, okay. This stuff you happens know all over like, the place. That's true, but I have now a newfound respect for that kind of backroom dealings because at least that is legit. Like you got some property out of that. You got some money out of that. This this is money, tax dollar money being spent on researching ghosts. Ghosts in a country that's like having trouble like Keeping affording any up. kind of healthcare system or mm. public education system or fixing uh, anyway. So this OSAP program is what Bigelow now is doing from, I think it's around 2004. So when he officially kind of like stops his NIDS interest, that's when this other money comes into play. Eventually, the you know, the Pentagon eventually catches up with what's going on and they put a stop to it. 
And that's when Bigelow's like, okay, I'm out, and then sells it to Fugel. Now, when you listen to the intro to the Skinwalker TV show, they say that they are going to find out what 20 years of government research couldn't find out. Okay. Even though it was only eight, but still, it's kind of outrageous. You know, it's, it's outrageous. Not only did we waste taxpayer money on something that was complete nonsense, but now we're flaunting the fact that we wasted taxpayer money and we're going to get some private businessman who's going to do a better job of it. Here's the thing. That is one part of what I would consider the real conspiracy in Skinwalker. It's not the paranormal stuff. It's not the, It's not that maybe there is some alien, multidimensional, whatever, whatever. It's There's the some fact political that, shenanigans and a little bit of glad-handing and some palm greasing. And all of these people were hanging out together during the UAP hearings earlier in the summer. That's the, mm. essentially the culmination of this whole story. Because George Knapp and Jeremy Carbell are friends with David Grush. We mentioned this before. They met at a Star Trek convention. They go to UFO conferences. They're also hanging out with Travis Taylor of the Skinwalker Ranch TV show. Travis Taylor was working at the Pentagon, you know, trying to decipher UFO stuff and doing a terrible job of it, UAP stuff, because he was all invested in this UFO mythology. This Harry is like one Lee. of those moments where somebody has the, the, the Bolton board up on their wall and the pictures of everybody yeah, and you get the string connected. and the rubber bands. Exactly. Exactly. Harry Reid, Senator Harry Reid, he writes the intro to Pentagons at the Skinwalker, the sequel book to George Knapp and Colm Kelleher. Colm Kelleher was the, uh, the assistant director of NITS for Bigelow. Like, this is actually... This kind of cabal of elected and unelected and to some extent private uh, citizens who are pushing this UFO agenda, spending or wasting tax dollar money on this UFO agenda. And none of this, and this gets me to the second real conspiracy around Skinwalker Ranch, none of this was mentioned at all. By any of the mainstream media outlets that covered the David Grush and UAP hearings. And it's just so outrageous. Instead, they would bring on Jeremy Corbell, who would say, listen, this is, you know, for real, and 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 we have proof, and the Pentagon is proving it. Jeremy Corbell, incidentally, is no expert in any of this stuff. His background is as a warrior yoga teacher and apparently independent filmmaker. And then suddenly he becomes like, you know, involved in all of this stuff. Okay. But there is like no journalistic criticism of this work, which you and I were able to do by listening to the NASA talk and doing some of our own investigation. And, you know, it was a bit tedious, but we were able to get to the bottom of it. And nobody did any of this background work on the connections between Grush, the other people in the audience, their connections to the people who are holding the UAP hearings. And that, I think, is really a kind of a condemnation of the state of the news media today. Most of the UAP videos have mundane explanations. Nobody mentioned that. Nobody got into it. 
David Grush was a highly compromised witness who is associated with Corbell and Knapp and Travis Taylor and the rest of the people uh, also inside the Pentagon, also inside Congress who were, you know, committed to these ideas. Tax dollar money was misappropriated in a kind of nepotistic backroom deal where, where one guy was helping out his buddy to do some research that he was already kind of interested doing on his ranch. Highly suspect UFO conspiracy theorists have infiltrated really important jobs in the Pentagon. And in all of this, sitting senators are publicly pursuing dubious conspiracy theories around deep state activities that are really like QAnon adjacent. This is what was coming out of these hearings was, well, there's the elected stuff, but we don't have any real say about what's going on. It's, it's much deeper than all of this. Now, you mentioned this, this whole story was a bit of a failure of mainstream media. And I think that we should take a little bit of time to talk about the current information environment, because there are reasons for this. What's happening to a large degree, you're an old person. Yeah. We're old. <laughs> we used to buy newspapers. Yeah, that's right. Now, when you buy a newspaper, you buy all of the content in that newspaper and you buy it all at once. Mm -hmm. And the newspaper knows you have bought a newspaper. And so you would have the headlines that would get you to grab up the newspaper, but then you have all of the content on the inside and maybe there's more careful journalism and maybe there is more in-depth exploration and maybe there's some time to fact check. All of these things occurred with the newspaper. Now, the newspaper also is is slow. It's super slow. You can't pick up the newspaper later in the day when something else happens. The newspaper won't change. No. It's yesterday's news. The situation we have now is completely different financially. Rather than subscription and advertising for an entire newspaper, what they have to pay attention to is which individual stories get clicked on. Mm -hmm. And what gets clicked on? I mean, this is obvious. It's like everything has to be a headline now. Yeah. You, you can't have that kind of in-depth, oh, go to page A27. There is no page A27 on the internet. There is only those things that get clicked on. And no. it doesn't even matter if they get read. What's important is that they were clicked on. And so this is why we get this idea of clickbait. Mm -hmm. And so there isn't the money in fact-checking. There isn't the money in researching, in, in long form. This is the new situation where basically every story has to be done in a way that is going to get eyes on it. And we've talked about this hundreds of times. What gets eyes on a story, not the truth, but being short, shocking, new, weird, uh, it appeals to our biases, or it gets us angry. None of that has anything to do with careful analysis. You're right. That's a problem. That is a huge problem for us. You talked about this in the last episode, this idea of we're in a bit of a crisis of reality. This is one of the things that is contributing to that crisis of reality, is the financial mechanisms of our information ecosystem. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in all of that. And I think the problem here is that because the news, which traditionally was the source that was supposed to do the work, right? I mean, the news has this, uh, in democracies, has this political function of telling me what is going on beyond my own experiences, beyond my own community, so that I have a sense of how to engage in the world as a responsible citizen. Right. And so I rely on in the same way that I rely on doctors or scientists to work through the 
evidence and the material that's out there and come to a kind of conclusion on my behalf. Obviously, doctors can be wrong. Obviously, scientists can be wrong. But we have to outsource a lot of this work to other people because there's too much work for us to be doing individually. And so the news organization's role was really to go around in the social and political world and look at the evidence and then distill it in ways that we would be able to absorb relatively quickly and get relatively the right information. Obviously, like with all the other areas, they could make mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes were deliberate. Sometimes a lot of political leaning comes into the interpretation of the data and what's important. Of course, I mean, bias, bias is always present. Always and, there. Yeah. But today, you can't rely on them anymore to do that work for you. And and you and I were able to come to the right answer, but it was through so much heavy lifting. I mean, I literally had to watch four and a half hours of NASA scientists geek out on like a couple of videos and then do a lot more on top of that. Now, I can't just can't do that with everything. And of course, a lot of other people can't do it either. And I certainly can't do it in all the areas in my life where I need to get information about what's real in the world. And so you're right. I think we're in this real crisis. And this vacuum is being filled by things like the History Channel's Search for the Skinwalker. History Channel. History, yes, exactly. Nathan is making very big quote quotation marks here. But they come and pretend to do the research. Right? They're like, look at this tech and look at this expert we brought in from a university. And this is the information that is very reliable. And then they sell you just a bag of nonsense. The media plays along with it because they can see that that's where the money's at. Do you remember the giant penguin? We did yeah, an episode was, uh, on the giant yes, penguin. Yes, yes. Ivan T. Sanderson was an author who was looking for all these cryptids. And we've seen from his correspondence with friends... He started off as an actual scientist and he says, you know, but the stuff doesn't sell. If I'm talking about actual science, it doesn't sell. If I right. start to push this idea of a giant killer penguin, I'm going to move books. Guess what I'm going right. to write about? The right. giant killer penguin. Yeah. I think that's Travis Taylor too. He's the quote unquote scientist on the history channel show, the, the skinwalker thing. He has two PhDs and he's the kind of guy who should know better. And he probably does, but you know, it fact, sells. What are we doing? Why don't we just well, sell exactly. it? Exactly. This is ridiculous. No, Let's retool no, no, totally. this whole thing. 